I'm not offering prizes for this, but who can tell me what these people have got in common? Chris Hickey, Dave French, Diana Mason, Greg Skinner, Kelly Hartzell, Luke Elric, Vito Vuani, and Josh Vogels. Any guesses? Shall I give you a few more clues? Here's a few more clues. Uh, Jamie Timms, Marty Yates, Adam Riley, Elisa Beavis, Michael Rasmussen, James Graham. Do you think you've got it now? No? Okay, try this one. I'll add a few more names. Peter Burling, Blair Chuk. Who's got it? You've got it? You've got it. Emirates Team New Zealand. Now, not long after they won the America's Cup on the 17th of March, over 122 people got up on that stage and drank champagne from the old mug. It's coming. And we noticed, Sue and I, someone standing on the stage that we knew. This man was not part of the actual named 122 members of the team. He was an assistant to one of the electronics engineers, and there he was drinking out of the old mug. And we thought, wow, although there were 11 people on board the boat, 122 named members plus others drank from the old mug and were considered winners. And I remember what Blair Chuk said, and I wrote this down. He said, what a beauty, what a day, time now to enjoy. To win the America's Cup on home waters is unbelievable. To know the work that has gone into this, just huge from the whole team. So apart from those 11 sailors on the boat, there were sailmakers, boat builders, hydraulics technicians, mechanical engineers, electronic engineers, performance specialists, draftsmen, designers, race strategists, a legal team, media people, riggers, and the list goes on. There was even a robot on the team, a named robot. When the mayor of Auckland asked for the sailing team to be involved in a ticker tape parade, they turned it down. Why? Because the team was far more than just 11 people on board. It was a huge team. Today we're beginning a series over the next six weeks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we lead up to Pentecost. These gifts are gifts that God gives people to enliven the members of the church so that we can present an attractive and glorious church to the world. You know, Jesus Christ was the most attractive and the most glorious and most charismatic person that's ever lived. And so it's right that the church, which is the body of Christ, should be the same. And it will be when the people of the church give themselves to the body of Christ. One famous preacher said, we need three conversions in our life. One to Christ, secondly to the church which Christ gave his life for, and thirdly for his great cause. So today, 
I'm talking about many gifts and one humble service. Today we heard two passages being read for us. From the Old Testament, we heard about God pouring his spirit upon a man called Bezalel. And Bezalel was used by God as a craftsman in woodwork, in jewelry, in uh, making clothes for the temple. He was specially anointed. It was his gift to do that. And in Romans, we heard about how Paul said, I say to every one of you, Romans, all of you, we are to use our different gifts in accordance with the grace that God has given us. And so today we've heard from three people who told us a little bit about some of the things that they're doing. The gifts that we heard about today are tasks, if you like, or responsibilities uh, that God is using uh, to encourage us as the church. Paul is talking in Romans about serving God by using our lives and our gifts to create a glorious church. And the key to understanding this, I believe, is that we need to see using God's gifts not as a job or a duty. In one sense, it is. Something that kind of takes up our time, but to realize that we are servants of the most powerful, the most wonderful, the most splendid king in the universe, the splendor of the king that we sang about this morning. And if we can have that attitude about the jobs we do in the church, that we're serving the king, it changes the way that we look at our gifts. Jesus Christ himself said this, if anyone even gets a cup of water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I'll tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. And whoever, whatever you do for the least of these, my own brothers and sisters, you did it for me, or in some versions says you did it to me. So I want to just briefly touch on four things. Here we go. The first thing is we serve because of God's mercy. This is the first point. Paul says in uh, Romans, so then my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you. Because of God's great mercy, I appeal to you. He also goes on to say, and because of God's gracious gift to me, I can tell you these things. And then he also says, finally, in verse 6, we are to use our different gifts in accordance with the grace that God has given us. We are all given the same amount of grace. We're all given the same amount of grace. Grace means God's redemption at Christ's expense. We are sinners saved by God's grace, his generous love and mercy. It's not that anyone has received any more grace than anyone else. C.T. Studd, the great missionary to China and Africa, said this. He gave up a promising cricketing career where he was playing for England. He gave up a promising business career. And this is what he said. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great that I can make for him. 
We are all saved by God's mercy and therefore our response in service comes from that. The second point is this, in this passage in Romans. The first step in service is offering our whole lives to God. Paul says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. When we realize what God has done for us, our response is worship. Worship begins by just offering our lives to God because of the price that was paid for our freedom from the evil powers of sin. You know, Jesus is fully worthy of our worship. There was a Negro slave in the 18th century who was purchased at a slave market in the south of the USA by a wealthy landowner, and the landowner paid an inordinate amount of money for him. The bidding went up and up and up, and he paid the top price. He signed the papers, and the slave came and sat with him in the cart, and he was leaving the slave market, And the Negro turned to him and said, just because you paid such a huge price for me, don't think that I'm going to work hard for you as a free man. I'm still a slave. The landowner didn't say anything, but when he got to his farm, he took the papers out of his pocket and he gave them to the Negro and said, here you are, my friend. You don't have to work for me. You're a free man now. You're free to leave. There was a pause for quite a long time. The Negro suddenly realized he was dealing with a good and honorable man. And he humbly replied, thank you for my freedom. I now choose to work for you for the rest of my life. I'm free. When we become Christians, we exchange one form of slavery for another. Before, we were slaves to the devil and to the ways of this world. When we get saved by Christ, realizing the great price that was paid for us, we're transferred into another kingdom, the kingdom of God. We're set free to serve the living God. I think it says in the, um, the old British common prayer book, it says, in, um, in his service, there is perfect freedom. We are free to serve. Paul says in this passage, and it's worth reflecting on today when you go home, he says that when you offer yourselves to God in loving service, your mind will start to be transformed. It's not that your mind is transformed before you offer. You offer in faith, and as you offer your life to God, your mind is transformed. Your thinking will change, and you will actually discover as you start serving Christ what you were really called to do. That's what you will discover. Um, A man was referred to me from the 155 Community Law Centre about three weeks ago. Um, He'd been in prison and he was having a lot of struggles with um, employment and it turned out he had huge anger problems. Um, He was anti the system. As we got to know each other over a couple of sessions, he started to calm down and kind of chill out. And he told me that actually he told me his testimony, how he'd been saved in prison and how he'd become a Christian. And he said, look, pastor, I want to become a preacher. Um, Where do I start? 
And I said to him, are you a member of a local church? And he said, no. He said, why do you ask? And I said, because that's where you start your training. You need to begin your calling by loving your brothers and sisters and by offering yourself to them in a local fellowship. I haven't seen him since, and I pray that he's actually doing that. The third reason, that the third thing that Paul talks about here, he says, we are part of one another. We are connected. Though we are many, we are one body in union with Christ, and we're all joined to each other as different parts of the body. Using the analogy of a body, Paul does elsewhere in Corinthians and Ephesians. He's saying that in a body, every part has a part to play, a function, and they're all connected to each other. And of course, when you hurt your toe, you can't function properly. And he's saying that every part of the body, every gift in the body is so important. Last Friday, we had a Good Friday service out here, and uh, some of you would have gone to it. Many churches were involved. It was a wonderful occasion. We broke bread together, and we worshipped at the foot of the cross. At the end, I texted Howard, and I said, hey, Howard, well done. Um, Thanks for organizing such a great occasion. He said, thanks, mate, but it was a team effort. It's so perfectly said it was a team effort he deflected praise away from himself and said look we're all involved in this to get together buddy and that's what it's all about and the last point I want to make and some of you may have been wondering about this is I just want to talk very briefly about the seven gifts that Paul mentions um, you'll notice that um, in Romans 8 uh, Romans 12 he mentions seven particular gifts and I want to say this This is not an exhaustive list of gifts. It's not. It's a sample of the gifts that are found in the New Testament. Do you know there are about 21 specific gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament? And here's a sample of seven. Now, a spiritual gift, can I just make this point? A spiritual gift can be a natural talent that you have have, that suddenly is converted into God's service. I've even heard of some people who have been very talented, for example, in music, where the Lord has told them to lay down their gift of music because they were actually glorifying themselves. A gift can be a natural talent that God uses for the body. It can be more of an obviously more miraculous gift as we are converted to Christ, like gifts of healings and gifts of word of prophecy and uh, gifts of wisdom and all those things. It can be obviously can be more kind of supernatural. So Paul mentions three speaking gifts here. He mentions prophecy, teaching, and encouraging. And he mentions four serving gifts. Serving, giving, leading, showing mercy. Just a brief comment about each one. Prophecy. Prophecy is mentioned in many of the lists of gifts in the New Testament. It's obviously an important one. And what this means is it means speaking under divine inspiration. This is a gift that's so important to the church, but it needs to be submitted to the church and particularly to other prophets for it to be discerned. It's not right for a person to stand up and say, the Lord's telling me you should all do this. It needs to be submitted to others first before it's actually kind of 
um, given to the community to discern too. So prophecy. Another one is teaching. Um, this is a gift that needs growing in the church. Um, John Stott actually says that he reckons this is the most needful gift in the church today because he's been associated, he's dead now, but he's been associated with um, the Christian church in the developing world. And he says in the developing world, the church is, um, you know, five miles wide and half an inch deep. We need teachers to teach in the nations the church. Encouraging is another gift. Boy, do we need the encouragers in the church. I remember May Wright, who's um, gone to be with the Lord. It was so, such a blessing to get cards from her every now and again. She was such an encourager. And encouragement basically has a wide spectrum of modes and means. It ranges from exhorting one another to comforting one another to conciliating to counselling and also to even being a friend is so encouraging. You need to lead, read Ron Brewer's little article in the paper yesterday about, as a pastor, having a real friend who can speak into his life. It's a great little article. That's an encouraging gift. Then we move on just to the serving gifts. First of all, serving is mentioned as a serving gift. Can I just say a comment about this? Serving is a very wide-ranging uh, word, but it's very interesting that in Acts chapter 6, when the church was growing... There were two particular gifts that were mentioned, the ministry of the word and prayer and the ministry of waiting on tables, and both of them were from the same root word, diakonos, serving gift. So when a person is preaching or teaching, they're serving. When a person's waiting on the tables, they're serving. Same idea. Another one is giving. Giving means giving to the needs of others. It doesn't just mean bringing your tithe and your offering and giving to the church. It's a wider application than that. You know, when we see a brother or sister in Christ in need, some people have a very special gift of being able to just be generous and give them something. Giving should always be wholehearted and totally generous, not scrimping, but just generous because of God's generosity to us. You know, all Christians are called to be givers. All of us are, but some have that special gift. And I want to encourage you, if you're here and you just love giving gifts, go for it. Leadership. Um, it's mentioned authority, but leadership is the word here. It's another gift. This means governance. The body of Christ is served by people who give their time to governing. So, for example, in our own church, we have a thing called the council, the interim council. We have the board of managers where they're involved in governance issues. This is a much-needed gift in the church, and particularly in our own church, as we push forward beyond June to become a council rather than an interim council. We're looking for people who've got that governance gift to help lead the church forward. We need that gift. And finally, could you be praying for that, that the Lord will release in our church leaders who have a heart to see the church move forward? And finally, there's the mercy gift. You know, we're all called to be merciful, just as Christ is merciful to us. 
But this is a special gift, and some people really do have a very patient, loving care for anyone who's suffering. There are some people who are especially gifted in this area, and whilst we are all called to be merciful, we need to allow those who have that special mercy gift to be fully released into the pastoral care of the church and into the community. Very special gift. And I want to conclude. Here's my conclusion to all of this. We've had a sample of seven gifts from the New Testament. The source of these gifts is God. And I want to ask you, do you feel underemployed? Do you feel underemployed in the fellowship or in the wider church? You don't need to answer that out loud. But do you feel underemployed? Because you're missing out. If you don't say, I can make a contribution... Are you finding life in God's service? Do you love it? Or is it just, oh, just a jaw? I suggest you go back to Christ and see what he did for you to find out that it's a joy to serve. It's a great privilege. And I want to finish with this quote for us to just meditate on as we come to the end of the service. Thank you. This is a man called Russell D. Moore. In his book, Adopted for Life, he talks about the New Testament gifts and he says this, We don't find our gift through self-examination and introspection and then find ways to express it. Instead, we love one another, we serve one another, we help one another, and in so doing, we see how God has equipped us to do so. We discover our gifts as we offer ourselves and give ourselves to one another. That's how we find our gifts. I think that man who wanted to be a pastor, that's what he wanted to do. But he might have discovered something else along the way as he gave himself to a community of people who love God. And I want to encourage you with that. Can I pray? And then we're going to sing our final hymn. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the church. I love the church, Lord. I love your church. Can we all say that in our hearts? Lord, we love your church. We love your people. We love the people that you died for, that we are connected to. Help me, Lord. Help us to give ourselves to one another in worship, to give our lives afresh to you. We acknowledge, Lord, that all these gifts come from you, the giver, the Holy Spirit, who is truth divine. And we offer ourselves afresh to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our final.